So good to see each of you here in the room and welcome to all of our online uh, folks to join us in another week of Losing My Religion. I want to start this morning with one word, confidence, right? Love that word. Uh, I was so thankful uh, to um, our staff. We have amazing staff, but specifically Raf Gonzalez last week, uh, bringing the word, bringing the heat and preaching while I was out of town. The first time the Jones family have left the state of North Carolina in a year. We were at a basketball tournament and uh, finishing up a year that I was coaching my daughter and some other amazing young ladies. And, and so much, more than I ever dreamed of coaching, is instilling confidence into these young athletes, right? And it's more than, it's more than you know, sports, it's bigger than that. In fact, there's an argument at our house and I won't ask you to settle it because uh, I don't want you to side with the others instead of me. But the argument is about at what age should a young man be able to approach a group of young ladies and say, what's up? All right? Not like get your number, not will you go on a date with me. Just at what age should a young man be able to walk up to a group of young ladies and just say, hey, my name is, you know, I got a 16-year-old son, a 13-year-old son, and and to me, like that needs to be happening at about 10 or 11, right? But there's others in my house that think, ah, oh, you know, that'll come later. It's like, no, you need to have confidence as a, you know, you got to, it's all about reps and practice and just confidence, right? You don't want to go into a test, right? When you have that feeling of this isn't going to go well, right? It probably isn't, but it's going to go worse because of what you're thinking and the conversation in your head. When you go into an interview, right, man, you, you got you to gotta have a little bit of swag and confidence that, that you're the person that they need to hire. If you don't believe you're the person that needs to be hired, then, then they're not going to believe it, right? We, we live in a, we live in a you-can-do-it culture. Right? And, and the number one thing, this is the phrase, like, right? it's not just young people, it's a lot of people use it, there's nothing wrong with the phrase, right? but when, when somebody's getting ready to shoot a big free throw or they're in a moment, like the number one thing I hear from, from male, female athletes, you got this. Right? You hear that, you say, hey, I'm going to take a big test, hey, you got this, and it's a way to encourage and pump up and I believe in you, all that thing. And I am not anti, you got this. We live in a you got this culture, but... The gospel, we're gospel-centered, forever focused, forever's coming, y'all. It's real. Multi-ethnic movement. And the gospel pushes against, you got this. The gospel pushes back to our culture that says, you can do it. Because the gospel on a spiritual level says, no, actually, you can't. You don't have this. And that's very foreign to us because we live in this, oh, you know, self-esteem and confidence. And there's a place for that. But when you start to bring it in, as we'll see today. So this is kind of going to launch us into our Easter message. This, this message goes with next week. I'm so excited about um, Easter. And we're going to do two services. We're believing that some people we haven't seen in a, in a while are going to be back in here next week. So make sure you know those service times are different, 930 and 11 next week. And then we'll go back to, to one service for a, a few more months um, in the summer before we hope to be back permanently to two services later in the year as things develop. But where we're going to pick up today 
is our guy, Paul. So we're a church for the untold unconvinced, and Paul was the ultimate untold unconvinced. He was so sure that Christianity was fake and a fraud that he spent his life arresting and hurting Christians because he thought they were offensive to the God that he worshiped and served until Jesus knocked on the door of his heart, changed his life. He became this amazing missionary. He wrote more uh, of the New Testament than anybody else, um, Saul, Paul. So we're gonna pick up with this letter he wrote to a church in a place called Philippi. Right, we call it the book of the Philippians. And here's the scene. There, there's, some, there's, a, there's a huge spectrum, right? There's Jewish people that think Jesus is not legit, right? He's offensive. Like that's where Paul used to be. Then there's other Jewish people that think, okay, Jesus is real, but he's only for the Jews, right? Because he was a Jew. So if you're not Jewish, you can't, you can't be with Jesus. And then there's another group of Jews called the Judaizers. And this is who Paul is speaking to. They said, okay, if you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, you can be a Christian, you're allowed in the family on one condition. You got to become Jewish to follow Jesus. So if you're not Jewish, you can get in on the party, but you got to act Jewish and talk Jewish and do Jewish things and do Jewish ceremonies and observe Jewish holidays. So if you'll act and function and live Jewish, then that's your path to following Jesus. So Paul attack that idea of, no, you don't have to be Jewish to be Christian. And we're going to pick up in Philippians 3 and this amazing sentence where Paul said this. We, here's who we are, he says, Christians. We're those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and, here's our phrase, put no confidence in the flesh. That's who we are. Jesus' people are people that put no confidence in our own flesh. Flesh just meaning our own uh, desire, our own ability, our own self. We have no confidence in our flesh. Now, we live, young people, you know this, you get drilled with this. We live in a you-can-do-anything culture, right? We, we, we tell people they can do things that they physically cannot do and God didn't create them to do, but we tell them, oh, you can do anything. You can be anything you want to be, right? You can't, right? If everybody could be anything they wanted to be, then everybody would be their little, you know, five-year-old. Now, sometimes that's beautiful and it's God. I don't care. We live in a you-can-do-anything culture. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the rub. That's the conflict that we're dealing with today in losing our religion. We live in a you-can-do-anything culture, and Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, and, and the implication is nothing of value, nothing of significance, nothing of eternal value. We, we want to be this as a church. As we began to become you know, that song I love that we sang a few weeks ago it says, God, you're rebuilding everything. It feels like, I don't know what your life is like right now. It feels like we're rebuilding a lot. As we rebuild, we want to be a church that has a bunch of individuals, but collectively where we have no confidence in our own flesh, that we would embrace that and love that. And it just means that phrase, no confidence in the flesh, it just means we don't bet on us, right? You hear that term in sports sometimes where guys can sign a big contract, uh, but he can sign a bigger contract if he waits a year and has a really good year. So they say, hey, he's betting on himself or she's betting on herself because if she has a really good year, she may say no to this money, but then she can get all this more money because she has a great. So if you really believe in yourself, then you, you wait and you bet on yourself. 
spiritually, we don't do that. We're not betting on us. There's no confidence that we can go out there and change the world. There's no confidence that we could have any kind of godly house or godly marriage. There's no confidence, young people, as you go out into the world and go to college, that you can go do and accomplish anything. We have no confidence in you or in us by ourselves. You're like, man, this is not my favorite message. Right? No, this actually would stay with me. This is actually online. This is the best thing you've ever heard. This is so freeing. This has changed my life, and it ain't about me. So, millions of people, if you will grab on and let your heart open to the beauty of no confidence in your own flesh, it's going to open the world of good and beauty and freedom and joy and peace that, that God wants for us. So we boast, we do swag, we do confidence, we do boast. The scripture's clear. Boast in Jesus. Be cocky about Jesus and his ability to change our lives, transform us day by day. And as we get into this Easter week coming up and all of that means, and, and a part of this series, Losing My Religion, we're saying, we're pushing back against the narrative that's in our culture that there's a bunch of paths, there's a big buffet, and you kind of pick which version of God you want. It all kind of leads to the same being, right? We're pushing against that and saying, no, Jesus is why well, the Christianity, if you want to call that, that's what makes it different is him. He did things that nobody else did, said things that nobody else said, and oh, by the way, he rose from the dead. So it separates, right? And this week that our culture will celebrate as Easter is what we build, not just relentless church on, it's what we build. It's what the church of Jesus has been built on for 2,000 years across continents and geographies and languages and cultures. It's what separates. What Jesus came and did on the cross is what separates. And why did he show up? Right, all the disciples, these Jewish men, they had their own agenda and idea, and they were all wrong of what he was actually here to do. So we're going to do something that we haven't done in a year, at least together, church, and I, I've missed it. We're trying to figure out, you know, sanitation and when's appropriate, but we're going we're gonna to participate in communion together this morning. And if you're uh, watching us online, uh, you know, Seth talked beautifully about just relationship, no rules, so... If you want to participate with us, we'd love for you to do that. Grab something, anything, right? The, the original communion was uh, bread and wine, right? We're, we're going to do it here. Uh, you guys that are in the room, you've got this under your seat. Um, I don't even know if we can call this bread. It's like a styrofoam wafer, right? And so if we're using that here, then I promise you, a goldfish at home, a cracker, go ahead at home, go on. We don't know. We can't. I don't know if you know this online church. I can't see you. I have no idea if you're with me, not with me. Now, maybe in the chat, but get up, go find something in the fridge, right? Um, now, as far as the, the, the beverage part, we're going to have a little grape juice here in the room. Um, you, you at home, no judgment, right? Now, don't, don't miss the rest of the message because you're enjoying communion a little much. That's not what we're going with this, right? That was a problem in the New Testament. People started with communion and it turned into crazy, right? And they got in trouble for that. It's not what we're doing. But what we're gonna do is, is we're gonna, gonna take this together in a second. So if you're in the room, like that top little piece comes off and it's, it's pretty simple. All right, we'll give you a minute to, to get with us at home. But here, here's, here's the thing, this can get confusing. We started this thing uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, 
losing my religion, we talked about all the man-made. So we're, we're pushing up against man-made religion. And there's a phrase that we use from Galatians. It's in scripture. Self-made from the source of man is what religion is. That's what we're pushing against. So there's all these, you know, rules and implied rules that can be in church. And depending on your background, there could be a thousand different things, right? And the tradition, like Jesus spoke a lot against the traditions of man. If you want to call this a tradition or some people use the word sacrament, here, here's the reality. Jesus gave us two. All right, tradition isn't always wrong. Jesus gave us two things that he said, I want my church to do this forever until I come back. And it's insane. If you, if you need some faith today, that these two things have lasted all that the church has been through and all the cultures and the generations and the centuries. And we're still doing the two things that Jesus said, hey, I want these two traditions, entities, sacraments, institutions to be part of my church. And they're very important to us at Relentless. One is communion and the other is baptism. Those are things that Jesus came up and says, I want these to be, I want you to understand them. I don't want it to feel like a tradition, like going through the motions, like we sang against. I, I want it to be real. And here's what, Here's what Paul told us communion is about in 1 Corinthians 11. It'll be on the screen. It says, I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That this week is not just a week for us, right? The week, the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. This is right before he goes to get arrested and the cross is all coming in the next 24 hours. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I don't know what it's like for you at home. And we, we don't mind a little awkward here. Some of you have not, even in the, some of you have not had a quiet 30 seconds in your entire week. What we're going to do is just let it be quiet in here. And if we hear some stuff from outside, that's fine. But in your own way, with no really much guidance, I just want you to bow your head and remember, Easter ain't about bunnies and eggs, that Jesus came for a purpose to die on the cross for you and for us. After about 30 seconds, I'll direct us to take this together. So as Jesus called us to, we now take this, representing the body of Jesus in remembrance of his sacrifice for us. Scripture says in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant. Very first series we did in this building was about the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Father, we just remember, help it never get old or tired. 
God, remind us that we can remember through this week and through our life that we can carve out time just to do nothing but remember how much you must love us. To send Jesus, yes, to this earth and yes, to a manger and all that. But the ultimate goal was for him to show up on a cross. And Jesus, thank you for giving us this moment and this interactive visual way that we can taste and just together for 2,000 years, your church has been remembering what this is all about, what you did, how your body was broken, how your blood was spilled so that we could have life. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts and our lives and our church this morning from your word in Jesus' name, amen. One of the hardest things about the pandemic is figuring out communion. It's a really important part of our life. So we're going to um, continue to use these little containers because they're sanitary and safe. But starting next week, those will be on a table in the room. And, and that's really up to you. So you don't have to take communion. We'd never want you to have to. But anytime, if you want to come a little early, if you, a lot of people like to do it during worship as we're singing to God, um, there'll be those containers on a table and you can take those on your own time. Um, they'll be in the room starting next week. And it really, it connects Because the only way I can have no confidence in my flesh is if I understand what Jesus came and did for me. He did for me what I could not do for myself. That's the point of the gospel. That's why we get real excited about the freedom that comes because I, once you live life, you understand I can't be holy and blameless and sinless as Jesus was. He had to come to be that for me, and I'm so thankful. So Paul, in Philippians 3, he's saying, hey, we don't, we don't do that. We don't live. We are the people that have no confidence in the flesh. And then, like Paul's known to do, he gets a little crazy. Here's what he says in the next verse. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Whoa, Paul's flesh flexing on us right there circumcised, then he gives a list of his resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, I persecuted the church, righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. Whoa, Paul, back up. Nobody's blameless. Well, according to the human tradition and the self-made religion, Paul's like, I'm it. If you want to If you want to go blow to blow, if you want to go resume to resume, Paul's saying, all y'all Jewish people that are saying somebody's got to become Jewish, like, I got you. I'm from the right tribe. He goes through status. He goes through ethnicity. He goes through family tree. Any way you want to match cards, I got the ace in my religious resume. It's a bold thing. He just said we don't have any confidence in the flesh. And then he said, but if you want to compare stats, I got you. Nobody, you know, we talk about Jesus being so tender and compassionate and gracious all through. And the one time we've preached series on this, the one group of people that he seems to, even in this series, who does he go at so hard? It's the religious leaders, specifically the Pharisees. Guess what Paul was? He was a big time rising the ladder Pharisee. He had the religious resume. Now, Nobody in this room, and, and, and most likely nobody online, is walking around saying what tribe you're from. Proud and cocky about who your mom and dad are, or if you were circumcised on whatever day, right? If you brag about that, I don't want to know about you. But we do have lists, right? 
Sometimes it's kind of hard to take this first century paragraph of what Paul's saying and bring it into the 21st century. Here, here's, here's all it is. What's on your list that makes you think that you're better than somebody else? Now, we don't do like Paul. We don't say it because in that culture, those things that he just listed were like, oh, wow, Paul, you're the man. Right? We know better. Right? So we don't actively say out loud, man, I'm better than this dude right here because we don't say it out loud, but we do think it. So you got to be real with yourself. We're not going to ask for emails or answers or anybody to stand up and share today. We don't want to know. But be real with yourself. What's on your list that makes you think you're better than somebody else? It may be where you grew up. It may be where you went to school. It may be something about your education. It may be, it may be something about what you haven't done. In our culture, religiously, sometimes you look down on others just because you haven't struggle with the same sin that they have. So many people today, so many people are working on a spiritual resume. They're, they're, you, know, you know, when you work on a resume, right, or a, or a transcript, my kids are now, like, we're, we're there. Like, we're thinking about how to get into college and how to get scholarship, and we're blessed in our church. We've got some counselors uh, that work in the public schools. We've got some counselors that work in, in universities here locally. So I was able to, I'm able to go to them and like, okay, for real, like, what are they really looking for? And it's, you know, well, you're always looking for your GPA. They're always looking for your test scores. But then from what I understand after that, if all those things are equal, it's all that other stuff. What are you involved in? How are you serving in the community? What, what leadership? What, what are you doing? Where are you serving? That could make the difference on your resume. So we're trying to build a resume, right? I got a a 16-year-old daughter that you can't see in the back that's running the camera. So if you're seeing stuff at home now, if you're hearing me and not seeing me, it's all her fault. It's not me, right? But if she's doing her job correctly, right, switching the cameras, right, and, and, and she's not getting paid for that, she's volunteering. Why? Because she loves Jesus, but it's going on her transcript. You know what I'm saying? So we need some camera people. We need some help as you're healthy and vaccinated or if you're not vaccinated, when you feel like it's safe for you to come back to life in public things, like we need people to serve. And you do that for Jesus. But if you want to go to college, you can put that on there. All right. And it's, it's a double. It's a beautiful. God's good at that. Right. Double dipping. Beautiful bonus. All that. So put it on that. Tragedy. You're building a resume. So many people. Maybe in this room, I don't know, maybe listening, but I guarantee you people in your life, they're trying to build a spiritual resume. They have enough faith to believe there's probably something out there, and one day I'm probably going to have to deal with whoever or whatever that is, so I'm trying to do some things so when it's my day to face the music, I got something on my resume that'll work good for me. Some of you know, and, and young people, if you don't know this, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, but it could work for you, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Some of you know when it's time to go after that job that you really want, how little that resume matters, right? Lots of times, not always, lots of times resumes don't get looked at because it's about who you know, not what's on your resume. So... Spiritually, here's what we're excited about. We're not going to waste our life creating a spiritual resume that's never going to be read. God does not look at your resume. 
You're working on a religious resume. You're working on trying to do this or not do this. You're working on this thing to be something before God. And God's like, I will never look at your resume because it's not about your resume. It's about who you know. That's what gets you in if you want to use those terms, right? So there's so much beauty. There's so much beauty in shredding the resume, admitting whatever you're trying to do and however you're trying to look and whoever you're trying to be better than, it's never going to impress God. So we just get to shred it and be done with it. doesn't mean we go live stupid and do what we want. It's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is we don't waste our life trying to create a religious resume of why God should let us in or accept us or be good to us. That's what Paul was pushing against. And remember, it was people that did not have a spiritual resume that were most attracted to Jesus. Let me say that again. It was the people that had no spiritual resume. What's on your list? Why should God, you know, give you the time of day? The people in the first century that, whose answer was, there ain't no way a holy God will have anything to do with me. Those were the people that were most attracted to Jesus. The people with the spiritual resume, I was born here, I speak this, I did this, my daddy did, my granny, those were the ones most offended by Jesus. Should tell us a lot. Well, let's, let's say it this way. What if I ask you to put yourself in one of two categories this morning of faith? Top 25% or bottom 25%? Right, I don't, we don't let you be in the middle 50, right? Because if you ever do a survey, hey, one to 10, how would you, you always get a bunch of fives, right? Weak, soft people. Don't ever choose five on one to 10, no matter the question. So we're taking that whole middle out. If you had to choose your faith walk with Jesus, are you in the top 25? I didn't do top five. We're not valedictorians here. Are you in the top quarter or would you put yourself in the bottom quarter? How, as far as just how you're doing. I don't, not out loud, in your own head. Now, Trick question, all right? I'm being mean. If you're a Jesus person, what you should do, what we want you to do, what God wants you to do is reject that question, right? You should be saying, no, I'm not, don't, don't play with me. I'm not putting myself in either, I don't do that. Because the gospel, we have no confidence in our flesh, it's out the window, so we run from comparing ourselves to anyone else. The question forces you to compare yourself, and that's always a loss, because if you put yourself in the top 25%, you're full of pride. If you put yourself in the bottom 25%, then times you know you're, you're against yourself, or you're down on yourself, and neither one of those things are what God wants you to be, but... I spent a lot of my life, many years, thinking I was in the top 25%. I never said that. I never wore a t-shirt, 25%er, right? I, never, I just thought, I didn't think I was in the, t I just thought I was doing better than most people in my faith. Right? This is worse things, right? That's not the worst thing to, like I just, I thought I was doing better than you probably. Why? Because the outward sense that get talked about a lot in church, I didn't struggle with those that much. So because I didn't struggle with some of the things that seems like a lot of other people my age struggled with, and I didn't say some words that some other people got in trouble for, right? And I, like because of that, I just put myself in that category. Now, some of you know my story. I won't share it today, but some of you, some people actually love Relentless Church because there's a pastor who talks about his addiction. It's part of my story, and I don't shy away from it. 
right? And there's beauty in that. And there's redemption. And there's, it's, it's a relentless God. My life is proof that God is relentless. He just keeps coming with his love. But you know, in my story, you know, the sin of addiction, the sin of pornography and all that stuff that I've, I've shared many times from this stage and at the theater, you know what's underneath that is the ugliest sin there is, and that's the sin of pride. I couldn't, now every, we have a lot of addiction stories in our church, beautiful stories, and every story is specific and different, but almost all of them is a connection somewhere between addiction and pride. I could never have gotten to where I got without pride because a random or what some might say an innocent thought of, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm doing better than some. It's the most dangerous evil thought you can have. We are a people that put no confidence in our flesh. No confidence in our flesh. Almost everything that has gone wrong and does go wrong in our lives can be traced back to that. Paul continues, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, if you've been around church, you've heard this verse, you might have heard it taught or preached, and and sometimes we mess it up the context because we say, hey, whatever gain, and we start talking about mansions and money, and I lose it all for Jesus. And, And yes, there's a place for sacrifice, and that's in some scripture, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking specifically about religion. This is talking specifically about status in the religious community. Whatever people saw me as, as somebody, because I didn't do this or because I achieved this, I count that as loss. For the sake of what? Of Jesus. That those two things are bumping up against each other. Next verse, indeed, Paul says, one of my favorite verses in all scriptures. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything that people thought I was because of my spiritual resume that Jesus wants us to shred and drop, everything I counted as loss compared to the surpassing worth, or some translations say greatness of what? Coming to church? Believing in God? No. Knowing Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know this messed up world in March of 2021 is so desperate for people that actually know Jesus. You know there's people in your life that do not believe in Jesus, but their honest heart would be, if they really thought that you knew Jesus, they would be like, wow, that must be amazing. The son of God, which I don't know if he is, you know, some people might not believe it, but if you believe it, and I know enough about Jesus that you actually say that you know him, do you Know Jesus, because if you do, that must be amazing. Paul said there's nothing that compares. That's where the, the freedom comes, right? So when I was joking earlier, man, I don't like this message, no confidence in the flesh. Yeah, we all got this stuff in us. That's what frees us up. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have crazy evil desires within you. Right now, we don't advertise that, and some of you, you know, we never speak about that. But the reality is, there's nobody. Think about that. We'll even expand it past the room to the trillions watching online. There's nobody watching. I'm looking at you on your couch with your Cheetos on your lap, right? Nobody hearing this does not have 
evil, I'm not talking about not so good, evil desires within them. We all got it in common. We all hide it and mask it and try to whatever. The reality is, that's why it's so freeing to say, hey, I don't have any confidence in me. At the end of the day, if I count on me, I will choose me over you. I won't serve you. I won't love you. There is a selfishness in humanity, and it always has been and always will be. And that's what Jesus came to redeem and save and change. It's freeing. That's why maybe we're not known for our joy. Culturally, you know, Christians, we're not known for our joy. Maybe, maybe it's because we don't understand that we can, there's so much freedom that when we walk out of here, it's like, I don't, I don't have any confidence in me. I don't have any confidence in me to, to be the husband that she deserves, to be the father of these kids. Like, I don't have any confidence in me to lead this church. Are you kidding me? I know me too well. I have no confidence in my flesh, but there's a spirit of God that lives in me. There's a perfect, powerful Jesus that made residence in my heart, and every single day is changing me and empowering me to be the husband and the father and the leader and the pastor that he created me to be. So the pressure is on him in me and me just to yield to that instead of trying to be this. I have no confidence, and it's beautiful. I have no confidence in my flesh. Maybe if we understood that, we'd live with more joy. Right? As restaurants open back up, maybe what could be true on the backside of this that was never true before is that Sunday waitress, waiters, servers, we call them now, Sunday servers don't hate working Sunday afternoons. That's the least favorite day to work because it's the church crowd. Typically grumpy, typically tight with the tip. That's not us. That's not who we're created to be. No, no, you might say, why not both, right? You're saying religion is like, like religion isn't so bad. Why can't, we do, why can't we have religion and Jesus? Right, well, isn't Jesus a religion? Like, why can't we just put that all into to one? Because it's either knowing Jesus or working on your man-made resume. You can't do both. They're in opposition. One insults the other. If I'm working on my ability to be approved or clean or pure or whatever before God, then that tells me that I didn't, that tells God that I don't need Jesus to come and do what he did for me. And if I'm living, which we'll talk about next week, in this faith and the reality of what Jesus has done for me, then I'm not going to spend my life creating an image or a resume for God or for you to think I'm whatever. In fact, what Paul's really saying in this whole section of Philippians 3 is, I had to leave religion to get to Jesus. It wasn't that I progressed or evolved past religion into something better. It's I had to leave it. I have this vision. I've never swung on branches in the, in the jungle, Tarzan style, but, but I have this visual, you know, Tarzan's going through and he's holding on to one. If he just grabs the other vine and holds on to both, it's, it's not going to go well. He's got to let go of this one as he swings and grabs on to this one. And that's a little bit of visual Philippians 3. Paul's saying, listen, you got to let go and be done with that religion, self-made religious resume in order to grab on to Jesus. And Jesus is so good that once you grab onto it, no one will ever be able to convince you to let go. Is that the Jesus you know online? Is that the Jesus? Maybe you're done. Maybe you're frustrated because you've never tasted how good the Jesus that Paul's talking about is. Not learning about him in Sunday school, but knowing him on a personal level. I had to relieve religion to get 
Jesus we make that sound so cool and it is but it's also hard some of us need to acknowledge religion's hard to let go of there are things that you've been taught that you think are from God and as you open scripture and as you learn you're going to find out they're not only not from God but God is against what you think he was for perfect example in our church multi-ethnic church interracial dating and marriage Many of us were taught by pastors, ministers, from pulpits and stages that people should stay within their own race. As God's spokesperson, we heard that maybe first time from church. Right? When you start to get into the word and see what it says and what it doesn't say and be able to separate the man-madeness from the gospel... You're going to have some tough choices to make. Often, and it's not just about race, there's a thousand other things we could go to. Often, you're going to have to choose between Jesus and selling out grandma. Some of you were taught things. God said, don't chew gum in church and a bunch of much more serious things. And you were taught them from such a young age and they're in you. And then you realize that's not from God. And then you got a tough choice to make. Some of your biggest fears, the reason you don't want to let go of this and hold on to this is because it will offend people that you love in your family. It's worth it. I don't want you to offend. We don't get joy out of that. But the reality is to let go of religion, you got to let go. And when you let go, people that are in religion get really offended. It's worth it. Jesus went to a cross so you could be free. You don't want to give that up because of family Tradition. In the end, religion puts all the pressure on you. Christianity puts all the pressure on Jesus. And any form of depending on yourself, any form of depending on yourself is religion and offensive to God. In fact, he would call it garbage. Well, maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. Here's the next verse. Paul said, for his sake, Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And again, we use this of like, sell all your stuff. And again, there's verses that talk about selling all your stuff in context. We can preach on that another day. The context here is I've suffered the loss of all things. I'm no longer known for my being a part of the tribe of Benjamin or a Pharisee or eighth day circumcised. All that I lost because when I became to Jesus, I let go of all my tradition, all of my upbringing, all of my Jewishness, all of my Judaizerness. You know, I'm still Jewish, but God made me that by race. You know what I mean? I gave all that up. Why? So I could gain Christ. Because I couldn't make life about being from here or speaking this way or circumcised or Jewish man-made. I couldn't make life about that and know Jesus. I had to choose. So I gave all that. I lost all that. And it says, I count them as rubbish. And here's, here's where I hate to tell you. We struggle translating certain words because there's not an English word for every Greek word. There's just not, just like there's not a Greek word for every English word. So the Greek word that Paul uses here, we translate as trash most likely in our English versions. Why? Because it's a little more tasteful than what Paul actually said. The most often used of the Greek word that's translated here as rubbish ain't talking about trash. It's talking about 
doo-doo. Doo-doo brown. You remember that? All right? That's the word. Now, occasionally this word is used for trash. More often it's used for doo-doo, poop, as we might say in the preschool room, right? So Paul, being a little bit potty mouth, right? Put it back up there, please. For the sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as fill in the blank. He's using strong language on purpose that we use a little bit in our English translation. He's letting us know how disgusting that is. What? Religion. Anything that makes you think you're somebody before God. It's not your Jewishness, most likely for you, but anything for us, let's be honest, sometimes it's the sin that you haven't committed. You think you're better because you, you may lie your, through your teeth, but you don't do the big public whatever. Sometimes you put your, whatever you do, whatever I do, whatever's on your list, anything that makes you think I'm somebody before God, we must count as doo-doo in order to gain Christ. We're broken, y'all. If anything can never be debated after the last year, it is that we are a broken people. It's shined, this pandemic shined the light on so many things in our lives, our hearts. We're broken. And religion has no answers for our brokenness. It can make you feel better for a second. It may feel good to be part of something. Everybody's doing the same thing. The same rituals tell you. But at the end of the day, your brokenness, the the world and religion and man-made stuff has no answer for. The only answer and hope is in a relationship with this Jesus that came and died and rose again. And it does not mean, well, we don't have to obey any rule. No, here's the difference. We're motivated by Jesus. We get to obey, right? Because he loves me that much and he says, do this, not do this. Man, I'm gonna trust him in that. It's not to, so you think I'm somebody. I'm not obeying anything for you to be impressed. I'm not even obeying anything for him to be impressed. I'm obeying because I trust. And I'm going to sin, and I'm going to mess it up in my brokenness. And when I do, I'm going to repent. That's a beautiful thing. It's not threatening and forcing. You can't make somebody repent. Repent is a heart saying, hey, I am no confidence in my flesh, but I gave in to this, and I need to say it, and I need to admit it, and I need to swallow my pride. I need to give that to God. I need to let him change me day by day as he's changing all of us. There's room for repentance in a relationship with Christianity. It's beautiful. It's not so that he will love you, it's because he already does love you. Religion is you gotta do this so that he will. Jesus says, no, I already do. Now let me make you into the man or woman I created you to be. And just stay tight with me every second. Man, don't you want the real thing? In this short, tiny little life where forever's closer than it's ever been and there's so many options and so many views and so many opinions about everything in the world. Don't you want to spend our short time here together doing something that's real? Doing something that will matter forever in this life and the next? Well, how do we know? Like everybody thinks that they're doing the real thing, right? There's no religion that knows it's fake. Like how do we know it's real? Go back to that verse one more time. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. How do we know it's real? Because of how wonderful it is to know Jesus. 
how life-altering. If you've never tasted that, then that is the missing piece of your life. If you've tasted how awesome it is to know Jesus, then nobody has to talk you into anything. Nobody has to scare you with this or that because it's real. The reality is we're scared to admit it. We got so many people, even church-going people that know about and believe in but do not know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Do you? If your answer is yes, man, then let this just be the pace setter for your week. I have no confidence in my flesh. No, there's nothing that compares, and I'm not going to get distracted this week. I'm not going to let busyness or spring break or whatever. Nothing is going to stop me from just being with the Jesus that is the best thing I've ever tasted. If your answer is, I'm not sure if I know Jesus, or I know I don't know Jesus, man, we're selling you a pretty high bar. We're saying there's nothing in this existence that's better than knowing Jesus. Don't you want to taste that? We're not, we're not mad at you if you've never tasted that. We're really excited, and we'd love, as part of our purpose as a church, to walk with you in getting to know Jesus, because there's actually something that you will not trade away no matter what offer somebody makes. It's that good because it's real. Man, nothing. That's a strong statement. Paul said, Paul was somebody. People loved Paul. Paul was on a track to become the man. He gave it all up. He called it garbage. Why? So that he could gain Christ. That nothing can compare to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I'm going to pray that over you, that I want you to stay tuned. I want you to let this song that we're going to close with, I want you to let it, you just sit, but I want you to let it, let it affect your Monday morning. Let it affect your Sunday afternoon. Pray with me. Father, there are so many things to get distracted with. God, Paul, Paul left some things that we don't even we can't even understand. He offended people in his family, people that loved him, people that had raised him, people that had poured and invested into him, and he left all of that. And he didn't regret it because of how good it was to know you. God, we got people in the back, wonderful people that are working with our kids, and pre-K and elementary. We got great team of servants that help us park and help us get seated and so many wonderful people that that give to support and do and serve outside of this building in the community in all kinds of different ways and we love that we want that we know that's from you but god help us never forget what we're built on we just need you to know you the realness of having a relationship with you it's not a line it's actually real for anybody online or in this room help them believe this morning that a relationship with you who created them who knows them and loves them more than we can speak is real and available and once we taste it we'll never trade it or let it go for anything god use this song to touch and speak and change our week in jesus name amen